Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John. The Gospel record of John and John in chapter number 17. We'll go back to our regular series starting on Sunday, but we just had one more pit stop following a great weekend and being an encouragement. Now remember, earlier this year, we had done a mini-series, uh, 25 messages, 24 messages, dealing with the Holy Scriptures and just giving some of the encouragements about the Bible and speaking about the inspiration of Scripture, the preservation of Scripture, speaking about its accuracy and its inerrancy, speaking about the power of God's Word. Well, while we're waiting for our series to resume on Sunday morning, we thought we would take one more pit stop and take some time to revisit the importance and the power of God's Word. And we want to look together in the actual prayer of Jesus Christ to His Father as he's heading up to Calvary in the Gospel record of John in chapter 17. The Gospel record of John in chapter 17. If you don't mind looking with me in the Gospel record of John chapter 17 and notice with me starting at verse number 14. The Gospel record of John chapter 17 and in verse number 14 the Word of God says this, I have given them thy word and the word had hate world had hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but that thou shouldest keep them from evil they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of John chapter number 17? The gospel record of John chapter 17. And notice the phrase, sanctify them through thy truth. Sanctify them through thy truth truth. And with the Lord's help, we're going to examine this idea that Jesus is praying, sanctify them through thy truth. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God and thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house. And I know that every sermon must have two births. It must be birthed in the study and then it must live again in the pulpit. And I know that it's not me, my skills that can make it come alive. It's your Holy Spirit. 
And so I'm depending upon you to open up your word, to bless your word, to give us an understanding of what your word says, and that it could be a help, that this would be a turning point. This would be a decision, an understanding, something that clicks in the mind of everyone that hears this so that they could be sanctified closer to you and that they could be used by you in a special way. Lord, give us wisdom, give us understanding that only you can give. Thank you, O Lord. The best I know how I surrender myself to you. Fill me with your precious spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we could trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the gospel record of John, chapter number 17, we have the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would remember that the Lord had started the Lord's Supper, and the, or what was called the Last Supper, with his disciples several chapters previous. And then he takes his disciples and he begins to teach them on the road to Gethsemane from chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. He's taking time to teach his disciples. He's going to be arrested in just a few short hours. He's going to be crucified in less than a day. And so he's taking the time, this last minute attempt, to teach the disciples disciples to follow after him even when he's gone. And then as we come to John chapter 17, we see as Jesus Christ begins to pray by himself, he, his disciples have already been separated out. James and John are a little bit behind him and he goes a stone throws away. And here it's like going right beside Jesus Christ and eavesdropping on his prayer to God. This is when he is actually talking to God. He's not talking to the disciples. He's not talking to the masses. He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's not correcting. He is talking to God. And in the middle of this prayer, Jesus Christ is praying for us. And he prays that to sanctify them through thy truth. Now, if you don't mind, I'd love to make this passage come alive. And to do that, we have to explain some terms. First of all, I would like to show you what is sanctification? What is sanctification. Well, in the Bible, there are three tenses of sanctification. Now, we know in the English language, we have three tenses. We have past, we have present, and we have future. At the same time, we have three tenses that deal with sanctification. If you don't mind, I'd like to try to illustrate this to you and help get it to your head. We have these three tenses of sanctification. We have <laughs> inside of the in the past, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That Jesus Christ paid the price for us and that we have been saved from our sin. The work has already been done. It was done in a point, action, and time that have everlasting effects. That at any time now, we could accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. But the penalty has been paid. So in the past, we have been saved from the penalty penalty of sin. In the present, we are being saved, currently present tense, we are being saved from the 
power of sin. What do we mean by that? Well, in the past, the penalty that we owed God was paid. Remember, for the wages of sin is death. That because of our sin, we owed God a wage. Well, Jesus Christ paid that payment on the cross of Calvary. Now that we've been saved, it's been taken care of, God is working in us present tensely to save us from the penalty, from the power of sin. What do I mean by this? Well, as a Christian, you no longer have to sin. You don't have to sin. You're not only, you, you are not under the bondage of sin. But what that does mean is that anytime that you sin as a Christian, it is because you chose to sin. Now, that puts the responsibility on us. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are continually doing a work in our life to help us to sin less and less and less. Now, we don't believe there were any time that we'll have sinless perfection. I wish we did. However, we should be at the place where sin has less and less power and dominance in our life. That we are sinning less and less because of the work that God is doing. This is a process of sanctification. Now, in the future, we will be saved from the presence of sin. What does that mean? Well, good news that once the rapture happens, Jesus calls us away, we get a brand new body. And with that brand new body, I will be unable to sin. I'll have a body that will no longer fail Jesus. And I can't wait to get to the place where I'll no longer fail my Lord anymore. And I'm looking forward to it. Now, these are the three tenses of sanctification that... There is a work done in the past that he saved us from the penalty of sin. In present tense, he is working in our life to continue to save us from the power of sin. And in the future, one day, I will be saved from the presence of sin. Now, all of this dealing with the idea of sin is dealing with sanctification. My relationship with sin and how God sees me. He sees me in the past as sanctified. He sees me present tense being sanctified. And in the future, he sees me as sanctified. That I will be sanctified. But right now is what we're concentrating on. That he is working in us current present tensely to be working in sanctification. To free us from the power of sin. Perhaps another definition that we could use, maybe a simplistic definition of sanctification, is not of the world. The idea of sanctification in simplistic terms, not of the world. Which is where I want to bring to the second thing. What are we being sanctified from? What are we being sanctified from? Well, with that simplistic definition that of not of the world, well, that makes it very interesting, especially in this passage here. That notice, if you don't mind, as we now look into the text, John chapter 17. Notice with me in verse number 14. John 17 in verse 14. It says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Why? Why did the world hate them? Why did the world hate the disciples? Why does the world hate Christians who want to follow God? Why did they hate them? Because they are not of the world. Even as I am not 
of the world. Now, this is pretty big. Now, with this, we also have to do a, an explanation here. Um, 80 times, that's a lot, 80 times in the gospel record of John, the world the word world is mentioned. That's quite a bit. That's a big emphasis. When a word like that pops up so many times, God is placing an emphasis. So 80 different times that word world is found in the gospel record of John. 19 times that word world is found in this chapter alone. Now again, what's the context? Jesus is praying for us. He's praying as he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's thinking about the disciples and the future Christians who will be saved, including us present tense. And in this, he is asking them in relation to the world to protect them and help them not to be of the world. This idea of sanctification with that simplistic definition, not of the world. Inside of the gospel record of John in general, and in here specifically, the great call was for God's people, the believers, the disciples, to be separate from the world. To be separate from the world. Now, what is the world? The world is not talking about the planet. So he's not saying, I hope that they're not part of the world anymore, that they're going to leave the planet. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about necessarily the people of the world. But what he is referring to is the world's system, the world's culture, the world's way of thinking, that system of the world. That is what God is trying to separate us out from. You say, why is this a big deal? Because God is going a different direction than the world. And what happens is that we have to choose a direction. Someone said that if you just ride, uh, ride a fence too long, all you get is torn britches. You have to pick a decision. Do you follow after God or do you follow after the world? This is what God is placing an emphasis to. As Jesus is praying, he's desiring that they are separate from the world and its system, its culture, its influence, what it's trying to do to drive them away from the world. Now with this, what are we understanding here. We're understanding that this carries the idea of keeping uh, from the influence of evil. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. So he's saying, I'm not asking that they're outside of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil. See, he's defining himself. Satan wants to take a godly person and get them to the place where they're no longer godly. Satan wants to take someone who's following God and make them where they're no longer following the Lord. And so you choose to follow after God or follow the world. And this is the conversation, uh, the fight that we're having is which master do we choose? Who do we follow? Jesus is praying for our consecration. Now maybe I could illustrate this a little bit more. Some people will just take separation from the world. And that's good. Maybe we could kind of illustrate it. If a believer is separate from the world, meaning that there's a little bit of a gap, we also know that the world is always getting further and further away from God. So what happens is as the world moves further away from God, so does the believer. 
If the believer is just separate from the world, then as the world moves forward, moves away, the believer still has a distance, but he is also being dragged away. So what happens is that the believer today is in the same position the world was just a few years ago. And that the believer is by default getting further and further from where he should be with the Lord. Does that make sense? So it's not just separation from the world. It is separation unto the Lord from the world. So if the believer is separate for unto the Lord, meaning he's anchored to the Lord, he's latched into the Lord, what happens, the world is still getting further away, but what happens is that there's more and more of a distance between that believer and the world. Does that make sense? This is the idea of being sanctified unto God. That we're anchored to Him. And what happens by default is that the Christian becomes more and more different than the world. Go back to verse number 14. I have given them thy word and the world hated them. Why did the world hate them? Because they are different. The world hates anything that follows after God. And so because the world hates God, the world will hate the believer. Also, a believer that is separate from the world, meaning there's a little bit of gap and they're happy with it. As long as there's a gap, I'm not just like the world. I'm a little bit different. What happens is that the world drags them away. They become more and more different from those Christians who are anchored to the Lord. Does that make sense? And because they are, those believers are different than them, they hate those believers. May I be honest? Your biggest critics as you start following the Lord will not be the world. It will be other Christians who are content with their walk with God. Who don't want to move forward. They will hate you. That's just honesty because they're not sanctified. They're not anchored to the separate unto the Lord. They are happy. Well, I'm just a little bit different than the world. But they're getting further and further away. One of the greatest evidences that the biblical Christianity is true is the evidence of a different life. Now, we as Christians, we're not better than anyone else. We are different. Now, being different is not the goal. God is the goal. But as we follow God, we will be different. Now, may I kind of just be practical? If the world is getting further and further away and dragging the Christians along with it, what happens is that the Christians begin to change their standards. They begin to change the way and they start conforming to the world. We'll cover that more detail in just a bit. But a Christian who is anchored to the Lord, they are going to be much different than them in their dress, their appearance, their speech, their desires, their hobbies, their likes. They will be different. Does that make sense? Now, this is what the Lord's speaking to us on. Why does God want us to be different? Because that difference shows that the Bible works. The world does not need a cheap imitation of itself. They know they're messed up and they don't need to go find something that's just as messed up as they are. 
what they're looking for is something that is different. That's why when Christians have a good testimony when everything's falling apart and that we're still hopeful people, the world says there's something different about them. I'm more interested in that. This is why when you say, well, friend, let's go to the bar together, kick back some cold ones, and let me tell you why I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven and you're not. Are they willing to listen? No, because there is no difference. The Bible makes a big deal out of this all throughout the Word of God. Being separated unto the Lord and from the world, we will be different. Let's get a running start as we now examine the text some more. John chapter 17 and verse 14. I have given them thy word. I keep, we keep going back to that. We'll hit it in just a second. And the world hath hated them. Why? Because they are not of the world. Now remember speaking of the world system. That they are not like us in our music. They're not like us in their thought. They are not like us in their mannerisms. They are not like us in their dress. They're not like us. There's something different about them. They're not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. Do you know that Jesus was not part of that world system? Jesus could have had pleasure, but he didn't take time for amusements. In fact, he could put on himself the name Man of Sorrows. Jesus could have taken time for philosophy, but instead it was better to obey the commandments. Follow through if you don't mind. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest been taking out of the world, speaking about the physical place, that the answer is not to become hermits. God did not desire for us just to remove from everything, get a nice little cabin out in the woods, and hole up until everything just falls apart. We are supposed to work in this world, not live in this world. Does that make sense? There's a difference. We are supposed to be the light. We're supposed to be influencing people and drawing through and showing that our God is real, showing that the Bible is true. And the people need to see that in a real life context. They need to be able to see that we're going through the same things. We have the same challenges. We just respond differently because we're anchored to the, to the Lord and not the world. Notice as it goes on in verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. Now once again, we're here to work not live. He has sent us here to be the influence, to be the example, not to be like them. Verse number 19, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself. This is Jesus saying, why? That they may be sanctified through the truth. So the disciples were supposed to be just like him. They were supposed to be followers of Christ. Well, practically, what type of thinking could we do? Well, first of all, don't be drawn into a worldly spirit. Don't be drawn into a worldly spirit. Now, that's easy to see in the last couple years. What has been the spirit of the world in the last couple years? Fear. 
without a doubt, fear. And it's been amazing to watch as so-called Christians and followers of the Lord have followed in that same suit and they're fearful people. By the way, you spend enough time with them and intermingling with them, it starts to rub off on you. What other worldly things think of worldly spirits? Criticism. The world pretty good at criticizing? It's very easy to get caught up with that. May I give an example? I wasn't planning on using this one, but when my wife and I first got married, she was invited to a gossip party. I mean, a, a Tupperware party, candle party. And uh, when she was there, she was there with another newlywed. And as they were there, they were listening to the other lady start complaining about their husbands. My husband, blah, blah, my husband, blah. And my wife, brand new married, and another lady from our church, brand new married, got caught up into it and they started complaining about their husbands. And she just got married. She doesn't know enough about me to get complained about. And as they were driving home, they went, you know what? We got caught up in that spirit. We should have never done that. That was wrong. But it was easy to get caught up in that because that's what the world is. This is one of the reasons we have to try to be separate because we can get caught up in that same spirit. The spirit of the world. So if the world is fearful, if you're around them and separated, not separated unto the Lord, you start to become fearful. If the world is complaining and gossipy, you hang out with them enough and you become complaining and gossiping. The world has a vision, has a philosophy. You hang out enough with them, you start to develop that philosophy without even realizing it and you start to think like them. There's a Bible verse for that. It's called Romans 12 2. It says, be ye conformed, be ye not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know, that you may prove the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. That at any moment, you are either being conformed or you're being transformed. And when you're with the world and not separated unto the Lord, you start to be conformed to their way of thinking, their way of seeing things, their way of dealing with things, and you start to, to put upon yourself that same spirit. Here's a second practical idea of what we've told you so far. Avoid worldly company. Avoid worldly company. May I emphasize something that Jesus said. He said, I have given them of the world and the world hath hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. If the world loves you, there's something wrong with your Christianity. If the world loves you, there's something wrong with your Christianity. You said, but I don't want to be unliked. I'm sorry. They're going to hate you because they hated the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you better than your master? We are not. If we are supposed, are we standing where we're supposed to be, it's going to automatically convict people. We don't have to say anything. We could show up to a room and try, as we're living for the Lord, and people are already convicted in our presence. This is what it's speaking about here because they know that they should be living the way that they should, but now they're convicted. And here's the age old 
historical adage, when all else fails, blame the preacher. Blame the messenger. You see, if they don't like the message, they don't want to change. They have to somehow get rid of the messenger so it no longer bothers them. They figure if they could find something wrong with the messenger, if they could discount the messenger, then that message goes away. And so they attack the preacher, they attack the messenger, they attack the person that reminds them of their sin, their worldliness, their distance away from the Lord. But this holiness, this separation unto God, is exactly what the world needs to be brought to the Lord. Avoid worldly company. If you can enjoy the same activities, the same movies, the same shows, the same jokes as lost people, there is something wrong. Notice, if you don't mind, a third idea, and then we'll go to a different point. Don't be engrossed in worldly pursuits. Don't be engrossed. Now, I'm just trying to be practical as we're talking about being separated unto the Lord from the world. Just some practical ideas. Be careful. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is also. Be careful with your worldly pursuits. If somebody is willing to miss hunting or miss church to go hunting, there's something wrong. If somebody is willing to miss um, church because of some stupid football game, there's something wrong. If you're willing to miss church because your favorite TV show is on, there's something wrong. Be careful of your worldly pursuits. If you're at the place where there's something that keeps you away from church when you should be, there's something wrong. We should be wanting to get close to the Lord. We should be desiring to be close to Him. Which now brings me to the last thing and the most practical, the crux of the message. What does the sanctifying? Now we describe the three tenses of sanctification. That God is trying to keep us away from the world. That He is saved us from sin. He is saving us currently from the power of sin and one day he'll save us from the presence of sin. Jesus prayed for us that we would not be of the world even though we live in the world. But here's the question. How do we do that? Is it the idea that I'm just going to go live as a Spartan? I'm going to cut off all things and I'm going to go live in a brick room and I'm just going to hermit it out? What does the sanctifying? This is a good practical question. I remember when I was growing as a uh, young believer and God was really growing me leaps and bounds and I thought, is this what I'm going to go to? Am I just going to live as a hermit inside of four walls? Is this, this what I now have to look forward to? If that's what I have to do. And I remember calling uh, one of my uh, biblical mentors, biblical fathers who taught me a lot and he laughed and said, no, no, no. Let me tell you, God will grow you. Good, how do I do this? Well, let's see what Jesus said by this. Notice in verse number 17. Sanctify them. So, they're going to be separated. He's praying for the disciples, praying for us. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What sanctifies us? What changes us? What makes us different? It's not the idea that I just grip my my uh, teeth and close my eyes and I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. It's not the idea that I start changing the outside and so I look good and be rotten in the inside. What 
changes me? What sanctifies me? That's a practical thing. We're trying to bring it down to everyday life. What does that changing? Because if we could be honest, we have a desire problem. Do you know why you sin? Because you want to. Do you know why you like certain shows? Because there's a desire. You know why? So it's an idea of desires. Your desires don't go on and off with a switch. If you're desiring chocolate and thinking about chocolate, it just doesn't go away with a switch, right? Ladies, I mean, if there is a switch, let me know. Okay? So what changes our desires? The Word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. All needful truth, all needful truth is found in the word of God. The word of truth should be an outward and ordinary means of our sanctification. Meaning it's practical. The word of God is what does the sanctification. So what does this mean? Well, as we read and understand the Bible our thinking begins to transform to Christ's way of thinking. Remember, I quoted Romans 12, 2 just earlier. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. How do I get that renewing of the mind? The Word of God. As I start understanding the Word of God and obeying the Word of God, my thinking changes automatically. Let me tell you, it is wonderful as a pastor to watch someone come through the doors and they could have a total different outlook on life, a total different lifestyle, a total different thing. They could just hate everything I stand for. But they get saved and they start following the word of God and all of a sudden their thinking changes. Their mannerisms change. Their desires change. And it wasn't me. It was God doing something in the inside by his word. There's not a single Christian who's been a part of the church who's been obedient to the word of God who does not have some change. There are some people who haven't obeyed God who hasn't changed any and they're like, what in the world are you speaking about? I'm telling you, the Word of God changes us. As we grow in <laughs> obey the Bible, our actions begin to separate us and it makes us different than the world. We automatically respond different. Let me give an example. When you are lost and not following God and you start you doing a construction project and you hit the wrong nail, you automatically respond. And you usually respond to how you were. And you don't have time to think about the response. You don't have the hammer hit your nail and you go, ow, that hurt. I need to respond. I need to say something. What should I say? Just what's in you comes out, right? Well, the amazing thing is God changes you from the inside out is that if you hit as a Christian following the Lord and you hit the wrong nail, your response is different. And you don't think about it. It's just something in you has changed and you respond differently. That's part of God changing you from the inside out. That as we grow, God will change us and make us more and more different. It will be more and more apparent that God's ways are completely different than the world's ways as you begin to change. 
inside of, um, maybe to illustrate this, there is a, a tree that is the last tree of the season to lose its leaves. It doesn't lose its leaves until spring. And the only reason why it loses its leaf is that the new growth pushes out the old growth. This is exactly what sanctification is. As God changes us from the inside, he pushes out those old desires. He pushes out that old way of thinking. He pushes out that old things we used to like. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. This is that idea of sanctification. That as we follow God, He will make us different. It's not something that we are purposely doing on the outside. He automatically changes us where we no longer desire those same things. To listen to that old music before doesn't appeal to us. Those old shows before were like, uh, it has no interest to me. Because God is doing a work on the inside out. And I'm thankful for his sanctification work. It is him that's doing it. And it does it through his word. So what sanctifies us? God's word. This is why the greatest thing a Christian can do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for themselves. And may I underscore, it's not just simply reading it, but it's reading it to learn from God. It's reading it to obey from him. That every time God's word is open, if you truly desiring what God wants for you, you should be expecting God to speak to you. You should be expecting God to work. This is why we give people Christian life journals. You should be expecting God to speak to you each and every time and prepared to write it down. I want to find out what God has given to me. You should be looking in your Bible and preparing. What should I obey? What should I be looking for? And God will do a transforming work. Again, notice what Jesus said. We look through it in verse number 19. And for their sake, so for us, I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified through the truth. Again, he said that um, up earlier that he had given the word. Here in verse number 19, he says he'd give, sanctify him through the truth. Christ separate himself from the world unto the Lord, that we might be separated unto the Lord as well. And in this high priestly prayer, this is exactly what he's praying for us. He did not just save us just to deliver us from hell. He saved us so we can have a different life to prove that his word works. The greatest evidence that biblical Christianity is true is the evidence of a changed life. And that changed life only comes as people are obeying God's word for themselves. So let me ask you a question. First of all, how's your Bible reading? Second of all, how is God's word changing you? 
That should be able to be said in a definite statement. What changes have been in your life because of your obedience to God's word? What has changed in your thinking since you've been obeying God's word? What is it that you are been doing because God's word told you so? There should be some changes. There should be some decisions that you have made. There should be some things that you have modified in your life because of the preaching of God's word. If not, there's something wrong. And that's why there's no changes. May I just apply it one other way? Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter, chapter number 3. May I just show you the practicality of this? Now, you need God's word. and You need to be eating God's word, digesting God's word, looking for God's word, seeking for God's word, learning about God's word, because that's what does the changing. If you are not in God's word, you are not changing. If you're not obeying God's word, you are not changing. But may I show you what happens with the evidence of a different life? In 1 Peter chapter number 3, we come to a scenario. And by the way, this scenario happens in practical life. As a pastor, I'll have some wife come up and say, my husband doesn't want to obey the Bible. He doesn't want church, doesn't want to be saved, doesn't want ever. What do I do? And the answer is in 1 Peter chapter 3. But as much as I give that advice, it's advice that's often rejected. Why? Let's see. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, now this likewise is being referenced to Christ. And 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 21 through 25. It's talking about how Christ was different. So as Christ was different, likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be one by the conversation of the wives. So if a wife comes up and says, Pastor, my husband, good for nothing husband, doesn't want to obey the Bible, doesn't want to do devotions, he barely wants to go to church, doesn't want to go to church, how do I handle him? Well, the answer is not to take the Bible and beat him over the head. It does not work. Many wives have tried and many wives have failed. This is not how it works. However, the Bible says that he could be one without the word. How? By the conversation of the wife. Now remember, the word conversation here carries the idea of behavior. It's not just how they speak, it's how they behave, how they act. Verse number two, while they, the husbands, behold your chaste conversation behavior coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair or the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, great price. So here's what God said. Now you can apply this here. The specific is the husband and wives, but it applies in any scenario. Your job is not to fix them. If I could get people to understand that, it's not your job to fix other people. You concentrate on you. And wives, if you decide that you're going to be the best Christian you know how to be, the best Christian that your husband has ever seen, he's going to notice. Now, there's usually several phases. First of all, suspicious. Oh, she just got religion. Ah, he'll wear out. And then, 
it'll pique his curiosity more and he'll test it. He'll purposely provoke and see if he can get that old reaction to see if it's just fluff. But when it starts to be consistent and there's changes, then he starts to say there's something to this. Because I see the evidence of a changed life. She is not who she used to be. How did she get there? Not by the outside. That's what it's putting the emphasis. It's not saying don't wear makeup and the stuff. It's saying that it's the inside we need to concentrate on. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That as she starts obeying the Bible, as she starts getting closer with God, God will change her from the inside out. And the next thing you know, she is a different person and he's scratching his head confused saying, what's wrong with her? And then eventually she'll get to the place where he'll come and say, whatever's happening to you, I want that in my life. If you could forgive a personal illustration, I remember having a young man who um, came to know Christ as his savior at at a missions banquet. He got saved and we started going through discipleship. And as he was going through discipleship, remember we define discipleship as developing the habit of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, obeying the word. As he obeyed the word, he started to change from the inside out. His brother who had been saved for a while and actually working in his uh, church's Christian rock band started to watch his brother, twin brother, grow in the Lord so much that he said, man, I feel like I'm lost how far he's growing and how close he's getting to the Lord. I've been saved for a long time, but now he's closer to the Lord. And I remember walking outside of a retirement home ministry, not the church, but a retirement home ministry, and his twin brother's waiting for me outside. I didn't know who he was at the moment. And he came up to me, you, you, whatever you're doing to my brother, do that to me. So we got him a discipleship. They're both missionaries now. What made the change? It wasn't me. It was God's word being obeyed, changed his life. God sanctified him, made him different. And that difference made an impression. And people said, I want that. Does that make sense? Being different is not the goal. God is the goal. But as we follow after him, as we obey his word, as we submit ourselves to that biblical authority and let God's word change us, other people around us who knew us are going to say something happened and they're going to be attracted to that. And it wasn't because you purposely are doing something different. It's not because you are purposely trying to make yourself religious. It's going to be a genuine change that cannot be faked and it cannot be mimicked. It's going to be a genuine change that people are going to be able to say there is something different. Now once again what sanctifies us? Thy word sanctifies us. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So once again I ask the questions. How is your Bible reading? How is your obedience to God's word? What changes have you recently made in your life because of God's word? That's what you need to be concentrating on is being obedient to God's word. Anticipating. Do you know that your growth and closeness to the Lord is directly proportional to your obedience to God's word? The more that you obey, the faster you grow.
the more that you hem and haw and say, well, maybe this isn't for me. I'm not ready for this yet. The slower you grow. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.